maybe to kick us off, one of the things, just to, so you and I learned to meditate quite a while ago. Hey, that's how we first met. We met through uh, a course that we both learned to meditate on, something we've both been really passionate about for, for years. And it's obviously something we at Integral try to kind of bring into our, our working lives and also with our clients into our program. But why you've, you've gone the whole hog, not just practicing meditation, but you've gone and done a, a PhD on it and now more and more research on it. Why are you so passionate about it? What is it? Just simply what's it that kind of really captured you and yeah, and, I mean, I just, you stuck with it for so many years. Yeah, I'd sort of say two things on that. I mean, one is just that personal value that I, as you said, you know, we, we've, we've had from, from um, practicing these skills for, for quite a while and um, really just seeing the value in just so many aspects of life around managing relationships, around really just being present for um, every part of our life, you know, not just the good stuff, but also the more challenging and even the more mundane things and just the immense value that I've personally got from that. I've got two young kids um, and just I've really, again, taken, drawn a lot of um, strength and value from bringing mindfulness to, for example, being with them and making choices about how I engage with them um, that are really as conscious as I can, as, as you can be um, in the chaos of, of having kids. Um, and then the other one I'd say, the other reason that like um, I've, I've really gone down this route is just, um, I suppose, just seeing the immense potential and the immense need um, that, that, that at least I see in our world and particularly uh, um, among leaders, um, people who are in positions of influence and responsibility, the kinds of decisions that we that need to be made and um, uh, the, um, just that the real need for this quality of, of leadership, you know, in our world, um, in organisations, in government, wherever, wherever you like, um, to, to me, that is a, a source of real motivation, um, really wanting to make a difference, if you like. Yeah, cool. And, and we can get into some of the kind of nitty gritty of, of what you think the impact it is, it does have on, on leadership in organisations a little later on but uh thanks that's good uh, maybe just to, to give a bit of background about what your role in can you tell us a little bit about your current role and type of work you're doing both within the universe the university and outside with corporates we'll talk about the research and stuff a little bit later on but just give people a flavor of of what you're working on sure yeah so i mean as you mentioned in the intro um i've been working with those organisations and others that you mentioned at the beginning, corporates and government organisations for, you know, around 10 years now. And, um, uh, and so I basically uh, lead um, uh, mindfulness-based leadership programs um, that are really designed to walk with leaders in strengthening and enhancing their their skills in, in leading more effectively in managing themselves, managing their own mental health and their own self-awareness and resilience. And then also this piece around, you know, showing up as a whole person, as a leader and what that looks like um, and, and the kind of ways that, that that can happen. So that's sort of one area that I, I am, as you might be able to pick up, quite very passionate about, um, really do enjoy doing. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's, if you want to say, the consulting side of, of what I do. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and then 
in terms of, uh, you know, um, the university, I, I also work as a lecturer um, at the University of Sydney Business School uh, and, uh, and I teach leadership there and I'm, you know, really love and I'm quite passionate about integrating, you know, the research and the science with uh, people's actual leadership challenges and issues. And then, of course, bringing that back into the classroom as well um, for our students. So, you know, that's, uh, that's another area that I, I do spend a fair bit of my time uh, looking at. Uh, that's interesting. You, so you've been working at it for 10 years. Do you, have you noticed much of a, a change both in the students um, and in the kind of clients you're working with over those 10 years? You know, is there more interest, less interest, different types of interest? Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I think people are more aware of the word mindfulness than perhaps ever before. And I, in a way, I think that's um, uh, sometimes uh, brings with it challenges. Yeah. People switch off when they hear the word and they sort of think they know what it's about. And there are a bunch of associations that probably include incense that probably include, you know, various <laughs> coloured coloured robes or whatever, um, and and other sort of judgments that can really get in the way of um, of of exploring what this skill might actually be, sort of under the bonnet, so to speak. Um, yeah. So I've certainly seen that. But on the flip side, you know, more and more interest and more recognition. You were going to wear, wear, wear your robe today, weren't you? What was that? <laughs> you weren't aware of the robe yeah. today that I told you not to. <laughs> you don't know what I've got underneath this shirt, Jonah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on. Sorry. Yeah. No, that, yeah. And just that people, that there's, that there's more sort of, um, I suppose, awareness around um, the sorts of issues that uh, we know from research mindfulness can really help with. Um, among leaders, but also their, their teams more broadly. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword, I'd, I'd describe the last decade. Yeah, okay. Uh, interesting. Uh, that actually brings me to my, my next question is, you know, that word is very common now, both mindfulness or meditation. Um, and people use mindfulness in lots of different ways. Uh, and, and it seems also like me mindfulness has become a little bit more popular possibly than the word meditation. But what, what, what to you does mindfulness mean and what does meditation mean? Well, the way I think about it is mindfulness is, a, is an internal skill, whereas meditation is, um, I mean, and, and, and some people would disagree with this, okay? So I'm not saying this is the right answer. This is just one way of thinking about it. Meditation is a, a practice. So um, it's a, it's a, if you want to say a, uh, an intentional formalized practice that involves disconnecting from you know, your daily activities and having time typically sitting down um, uh, in, a, in a sort of an introspective state. Um, and of course, what goes what that introspective state involves is, a, is, a, is an area that we, we could talk about. That's yeah generally think about meditation whereas I think my and I think it's a good question because it's often confused yeah mindfulness is a particular way of paying attention and a particular orientation to to your life to the present moment and therefore <clears throat> I'd think of um, them as overlapping terms there are types of many different types of meditation um, including mindfulness meditation but also many other types of meditation 
But then on the other side, mindfulness <clears throat> can be applied uh, and, and developed and really explored through meditation, but not only through meditation. Yeah. Through our daily interaction. So that, that's perhaps how I'd put it. Yeah. And, and so am I right in thinking that you think, like I think, mindfulness can be a, a state, but it also can be a, a formal practice that you might do sitting down, like we did earlier, a mindfulness practice, or it's a state and way, a mindset, a way of... Yeah. I mean, if you really want to get, if you really want to sort of get technical about it, <clears throat> the way I'd put it... You've got 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking of the, of, the, of the broader group, but um, <clears throat> mindfulness is a particular orientation towards the present moment. So in that sense, it, you could put it as a, think of it as a state. It's, it's studied in other ways as well, but yeah. for, I think, simplicity, I'd put it that way. Yeah. 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 Okay. Huh. Um, Interesting. And so the, I mean, maybe we'll come back to that stuff. Obviously the rest of our discussions can be heavily based around what that is, but maybe we and could go and little no, look. Yeah. Sorry, Jonah, to interrupt. I don't know whether um, if people wanted to ask questions as well, I'd also be happy to explore things as well. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. And at the, let's, we can chat for a little while. And then I think we'll have five or 10 minutes at the end. Where we can, people can store up the questions and chuck some questions. I think also if you in the chat, um, put up some, if you've got any questions as we go along, put them in the chat and then um, CJ here will tap my shoulder if there's any particularly good pertinent ones we should talk about right now. He'll give us a heads up. Um, but maybe go on to, I want to just talk a little bit about your PhD. So your, your PhD was, if I understand, was on the impact of mindfulness practice on resilience and stress, particularly in leaders. Can you tell me a little, just a little bit about it and what were kind of some of the key insights you found? Yeah, so um, just uh, to clarify, my PhD was actually not specifically on leaders. It included leaders, but it was actually um, more, more broad than that. And basically what we wanted to look at in my PhD research was how does, how does mindfulness help us to cope with challenges in our life, difficult relationships, difficult events, setbacks, you know, health setbacks, um, financial, these kinds of things. Yeah, global pandemics. Um, <clears throat> so that was really what we were looking at. And we wanted to um, understand better um, whether mindfulness um, or how mindfulness helps us to sort of respond to those, to those setbacks. And we, we actually looked in my PhD, or I, can, I say we because it's a very collaborative process, but... Um, I, we looked at day-to-day um, uh, -day hassles as well, because we know that these things seem quite minor, you know, like losing your keys or having a little argument with your, with your kid. But these things um, happen quite frequently. So the cumulative effects of these day-to-day -day setbacks and problems and how we respond to those kind of micro incidents in our day really have a big impact on our overall well-being and bigger than you might think often bigger than so-called one-off big events um, because they happen so frequently so that's that's particularly what I was looking at in my in my studies um, and do you, like a simple way I kind of think about that is that is that kind of like going to the gym if you're doing regular exercise every day exactly and then you've got to go and lift something really heavy you know, in three days time, you're going to be well better prepared if you're doing smaller 
incremental exercise every day? Is it kind of yeah, a similar absolutely. That's muscle? a good analogy. The the the, the regular um, practice. The other the other analogy I like is, you know, it's a bit like um, pulling out a weed before it gets too big. Um, and you know all these little annoyances and hassles and um, and challenges that, that that just a part of our life can kind of really get out of spiral out of control if we don't manage them well and build up to things like resentment and um, certain you know judgments and, and frustrations around certain relationships and whatnot. So really, what we were wanting to understand was does mindfulness practice and do those skills help people to sort of nip those things in the bud earlier um and and what what are the effects of that and what do you you see as the kind of the core practices or aspects of, of mindfulness practice that give you those strengths to deal with stressful situations or challenging events what are the kind of things or components of it yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, there are a few things in that, um, but perhaps um, the the main one, as I see it, would be to do with the the, the attitude mm. that we bring, and that is really integral to mindfulness practice. Um, and that attitude has been described a number of different ways, um, mm. including things like um, an, an openness, you know, mm. um, a willingness. Um, uh, I really think openness is just such a, a great and simple descriptor of, of mindfulness. Um, if you want to say a mindful mindset, you know, that sense of yeah. open, you know, to whatever's kind of come up here right now. And it includes that sense of allowing, you know, we tend to sort of compartmentalize our lives and, and things and people in our lives. Mindfulness is about really breaking down those, those compartments in terms of our attitude. So I think from um, my own practice and experience and whatnot, plus what the studies show, that, that attitudinal part, um, which includes acceptance, you know, in, in, in more intense experiences of things that I, I simply cannot control. So, so, so there's not a lot of point, you know, trying to, to, to control, um, can just take out so much energy and so much pain from these or unnecessary additional energy from these challenges. So that attitude becomes critical. And then the last one that I'd say, um, and really there's been a lot of, a lot of work in this area now recently is around uh, self-compassion. So it's not just about bringing acceptance to the challenges that we face in our lives and the relationships that we have that might be difficult and, and whatnot, but it's also the, the orientation toward ourselves in all of that. Right, so it's moving mm. the situation to actually. Wow, there's someone. There's a, there's an entity here that is really maybe hurting in some way. And 90 99% of the time, I don't even like give a lot of attention to that. I don't notice that. And so basically, turning that compassion and acceptance to to oneself. Mm. There's some really quite amazing research now on the impacts of self-compassion. Yeah. That's a long-winded answer, mate, I'd say, yeah. No, no, a really good one. But And I think it's really one of the things that I, I remember grappling with when I, I first kind of introduced to meditative practice and, and was that how, how do you balance that tension between an openness and acceptance, non-judgmental mindset, which is 
obviously like critical to kind of mindfulness practice and that the approach to the world, how do you balance that kind of stage or mindsets with a more goal oriented state? Yeah. I think in an organization and in a leader's Mm -hmm. kind of context or anybody, Hey, like you, you're trying to achieve something. You're trying to change yourself or your organization or increase your revenue. And so there's obviously a goal oriented nature to that. How do you balance that with a, the open accepting kind of aspect you say around meditative states? And because I think, you know, a lot of the, the opinions people have around people that meditate is, is that they're, you know, they go and live off in the hills and it's a very hippie-ish thing, but it, it's not like that at all in any way. So how do you talk about that in a leadership context? No, it's su- such a great question, Jonah. Um, and I could talk all day on this, but <laughs> I think I think it's a critical one. And there's such a tendency, as you say, to think of, of, of you know, wrapping myself up in the cotton wool of, of, of meditation, whatever, and kind of running away. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, uh, and and so, as you say, it's, it is absolutely about... Um, uh, if you want to say supporting or nourishing both aspects, um, the aspect of the attitude, but also this this thing around well, as humans, we are goal directed. Um, we need to 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 have goals to to feel like we are satisfied and that we are achieving things in our lives. And I think what mindfulness can really do it's like this extremely powerful nexus between those two things, and it's such a simple concept. You know the attention oriented in a in an intentional way to each issue, person, moment that I face in my life with a sense of openness. Sounds it's really easy for me to say that, but as a skill, it's a really it's a critical core skill in in really um, being able to do both of those things, as, as you've said. And there's no mm. reason why we can't do both. Um, you know, we have goals, we do tasks, you know, our attention, uh, you know, where we put our attention is, is critical mm. to all of the things that you've talked about around performance and achievement. Um, and mindfulness has um, plenty to say about that. But then all the while, it's the underlying attitude that sits beneath that, that is also important. So... Um, or importance, not perhaps the right word, but extremely valuable. So that's, um, I think, uh, how, how I'd put that. I'm happy to give it examples and things as well, if, if that's useful too. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I, I think that whole kind of, that's another aspect of meditative practice and mindfulness is that attention deployment and focus, you know, consistently applying your attention to something and bringing it back. And personally, I found that that skill is just, so useful in in any aspect of life you know um and particularly with completing tasks i think it's a really useful tool another aspect as well that we're seeing a lot now from the research in fact this is not new this is 20 years old is the impact of being able to really focus our attention and deploy attention on our mental health and we know that chronic stress that, you know, in a lot of cases, and there are many factors in this, but in a lot of cases, chronic stress then kind of begets anxiety and depression. And we know that how we deploy our attention is a critical factor. It's like you were saying, it's like going to the gym on those daily moments to really help support us and really help that mental health. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Oh, very interesting. Um, uh, okay. 
given we've got, I've got a bunch of other questions I wanted to ask you, so maybe we'll crack onto some of those. Um, otherwise, we're going to get very stuck here, just you and me chatting. Um, so I wanted to have a little bit of a, a sense of some of the companies you've worked with and then also some of the kind of the research on how companies are applying this. Um, we chatted before, you mentioned a few of the companies you've worked with that you thought were applying mindfulness practice, embedding it in their organisations reasonably well. Is there any, any particular that come to mind? I think previously you mentioned Qantas and surprisingly you mentioned Carlsberg as an What's example. What's left of Qantas? <clears throat> oh yeah, <laughs> true. What kind of companies have you come across either working with yourself or in your research that are embedding mindfulness practice really well? Yeah, I mean, mindfulness has gone kind of viral and, you know, thousands and thousands of organisations around the world are now really um, embedding it. But the, uh, Carlsberg is a good example because it's obviously a massive multinational that really um, uh, was a relatively early adopter. And basically, they had uh, very uh, strong buy-in from the top to... Um, integrate these skills right across the organization and and so um and so that i think that buy-in was key and it just meant that um their leaders were supported and educated in these skills uh and of course that then flowed flows on to the kind of culture that those leaders are setting which is obviously critical to the the culture of the organization and then in turn um, you know, ma managers um, were, were also educated around these skills and, and their teams, some of them and their teams as well, in a kind of cascaded type way. So um, uh, that, that kind of level of buying and then, the, and then the flow on integration into the way meetings are conducted, the way, um, you know, certain values are, are articulated and espoused and then really embodied all becomes key. But as I say, it's now in the water supply and you know so many examples linkedin have really got into this um you know obviously google have been been world leaders with search inside yourself and sap have really invested in this so a lot of those tech, tech companies have led but now it's just so broad broad based it's you know in, in almost every sector you can think of there's an interest in these in these skills do you think in some of those, like I've always thought this kind of practice is quite good for, for creativity and innovation as well, because of that kind of openness you're talking about, um, where you don't get fixated on an idea, but you, you allow, you don't have that kind of ego attachment. So it means you can be a bit freer with your th thinking, as well as obviously kind of the well-being and wellness benefits. Do you think part of the reason some of these more innovative companies look at it is because it does facilitate those types of states? Those, kind of innovative practice and approach? Yeah, absolutely. Especially as you say, those, those tech organisations that really want to be innovators. And they also have the, the budgets as well to allow their staff to kind of do that free thinking. I think that's a, that's a fact of life that has to be acknowledged. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And then um, I think the way you've characterised it is, is pretty accurate. The, the majority of organisations that are now in... Um, um, to use the word purchasing mindfulness services and, and education and support are really about staff well-being and resilience now obviously under the current scenario but even even prior to that from what i yeah. see at least yeah 
Um, that's interesting. Maybe that brings us on to the, the uh, my next question is that, so there's a lot of research around the impact of mindfulness and, and meditation on, on wellness, well-being, um, those kind of aspects. We, you were mentioning that some of the research you're, you're doing now, and I asked you what, what's the really interesting um, innovative research that's happening right now, and you mentioned that some of that was around outcomes, so the impact of mindfulness practice on, on organisational outcomes. What kind of research is there in that space, and do you want to also talk a little bit about the, the research you're working on now? Sure, yeah. Well, um, perhaps, you know, on, on, in this area, I'm working on a, on a big, what's called systematic review and meta-analysis of all the research that's been done on how the question of how does mindfulness help leaders, um, basically, and, um, and also those that they lead. Um, so how does it help leaders and then also the, you know, the teams of leaders, leaders teams. And, and so we've, we've been doing working on this for more than a year, probably a year and a half now. Um, and it's still up on the, still up on the, on the, um, you know, on the block, so to speak. It's not, not finished yet, but, um, you know, absolutely. This is like a really important area, um, moving beyond the benefits in terms of well-being to actual effectiveness um, and impact that, that leaders are having in their roles. Um, and I'd be happy to share with you a couple of quite interesting things that have come out from that. No, don't. Just to hold them secretly and then we'll have another one of these in two weeks and we'll get more people. <laughs> no, tell us, tell us. I think one of the most interesting studies was out of Singapore um, and basically they were looking at, well, how does a, the leader um, leading in a way that's present and connected and mindful with their staff, how does that impact their staff's own rated um, well-being and uh, job satisfaction? And a couple of other things they looked at was they looked at, um, well, they found that, you know, mindfulness was, was strongly linked to those things. But they also found it was linked to things like um, less sabotaging, so sort of undermining and it's, uh, disengagement from work. So just these subtle withholding information that might seem quite minor, but actually have quite big impacts on how a team functions. Um, and then also better work-life balance as well. So if you have a mindful leader, you kind of feel somehow like you have better work-life balance. Um, so that was quite an interesting study. So, so just to clarify, so the, this study, the leader practiced mindfulness or on some measure was it, uh, had a kind of mindful mindset. The, the, did the employees have mindfulness practice or programs or workshops? No. No, it was... Just about yeah. this, okay. And is it, a, is it a good sample size and a good? Yeah, pretty good and replicated as well. So it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, wow. Huh. And so the consistent, wow, it's really interesting. Okay, what other interesting? This idea that there's some sort of transference that happens. Yeah. And it's not just the employer feeling like they're more, e.e. feeling like they're more heard. It's sort of down the track type outcomes around work performance, work engagement, less burnout, these kinds of really important outcomes that organizations care about yeah cool what are what other insights are you finding i think the other thing that we're finding is really interesting around how does as a leader being more mindful benefit your employees and stepping back and including all the studies now yeah we're starting to see is this pattern where it really helps in three key ways so i'm really giving away the punchline now which i'm very happy to do <laughs> 
is, I'm sure everybody will still read the study when it comes out. <laughs> all 200 pages. Of I promise I will. Oh, look, I'm sure you will, Jonah. I really am. Um, but uh, so one is people feel more um, autonomous. They feel more like they're in control of their job, of their work. And that is an extremely empowering state, like feeling autonomous. Even though they're practicing openness and acceptance, they still feel more autonomous and in control. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, but I remember I'm talking about the effect of the leader. Yeah. Followers sense of autonomy. Okay. So right. being mindful, that's the sort of one, one area. Um, which, which is really linked to happiness and well-being. What on another one is um, sense of competence and effectiveness. So people feel more effective in their work. And the last is um, more connected, more, more, more related to other people, um, stronger sense of connection with their leader, which I think is the most intuitive, the, the easiest one to, to understand. Yeah. And this is a, how many papers or how large is the sample size? We've got about a uh, hundred studies. That yeah, we okay. hundred studies globally over there. And these are all fairly recent studies or what kind of time? Most of them are in the last five years, but we don't put limits on that. We don't, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's very interesting. Really interesting. It's cool to see such, um, not just individual studies, but now the kind of body of research in the space is building up that you can do. A large and more problems. physiological studies as well, things like uh, blood pressure, blood cortisol, these kinds of things being measured yeah. in organisations um, and the effect of leaders' mindfulness on their own, basically physical health. Yeah, um, really good. What about, what about in terms of any organisational outcomes, you know, like performance or growth, those kind of quantified, more financial measures? Measures. Have you seen any studies in that space around organisations like Carlsberg or anything else that are imp implementing these programs? What kind of outcomes it has, not just on well-being but effectiveness or performance? Yeah, there've been a few. Um, those kinds of um, uh, studies are harder to do um, because it's quite hard to sort of draw a link between how a leader one leader within a complex web of an organization behaves and then more sort of distal or longer term outcomes and also depends on the kind of industry you're in right so if you're like in in sort of services or government i mean it's pretty hard to quantify your policy um impact at just you uh for just to use the example of government but a couple mm -hmm. of studies have looked at this there's a study done at a, a, a big company that was uh, uh, a call center and you know where they can really quantify people's um, productivity quite quite easily um, and they conducted a you know a multi-week um, mindfulness meditation program for, the, for those staff and found that they that were much more engaged they were able to deal with calls quicker and more effectively um, there was higher customer satisfaction as well um, following you know following the study with, with, those, um, with that call center um, and a couple of others like that, more customer service type um, companies. Mm. It tends to be where, where um, we can really capture that um, in, a, in a, an objective way. Mm. Because there's less kind of like a chain between the, the staff member and their, their impact on the kind of client relationship. Exactly. But, but that is happening more now. And, and certainly there are studies coming out on 
uh, your the a leader's team's perception of them. It's like a 360 degree yeah. um, feedback type setup. So more and more studies coming out on that as well. What are those? Those are showing similar types of results to what you were mentioning before. Exactly. Team members feel, uh, rate themselves as feeling close to their leader, as enjoying their work more, being willing to take more what they call discretionary effort, which is a really critical skill or critical capability for teams where, especially in small organisations where you want people that are just going to go above and beyond just to get things done rather than just leaving things and letting things slip by. Yeah. That's another key outcome that studies have looked at. Yeah. Do you, uh, one of the things I, I wonder about, and I, I guess we as a company would hope to kind of uh, contribute to, it is like that, that mindfulness is not just seen as something that makes everybody feel nice um, and we all feel nice about the world, but we don't actually really kind of change or grow the world. Um, and, and so I guess that comes back to what we were talking about before, about openness, but also comes back to about the kind of status of where the research is. You know, it's obviously looking at well-being and wellness and everybody feeling um, good, which is obviously critical, hey, and, and no more important time than right now for that to be imperative. But I, I feel like that also place, places the practice in a, a challenging situation, that it's, it is a nice to have. And so that when you do have an, a tough economy, these are one, this is one of the first kind of programs or types of activities you'd cut off for your your budget because it's just expensive to implement. And like you said before, it's the wealthy companies that are implementing it. What do you think has to happen in the, in the research and in the market for it to shift from being a, a nice to have thing when we do, we're, we're in a kind of bit more of a luxurious position to something that it's kind of a fundamental practice, organizational leadership practice. Uh, it's a really good question. Um, and I, I mean, I'd, I'd probably just echo the previous um, you know, response around these more um, hard type metrics that obviously businesses and organisations and, and executives pay attention to. Um, so things like, you know, reduced turnover um, and absenteeism um, is, is, a, is, a, is a, a very tangible, like there's a tangible cost and a number of studies have, have um, uh, focused on that particular metric and the impact of mindfulness interventions on that. Um, but then, you know, the more positive performance type ones that we've talked about as well. So I think that's really, really uh, critical. And then I suppose the other aspect I, I tend to focus on is really around leaders, just because leadership has such a big impact. And I mean, leadership's not nice to have. I mean, the, the way that you lead, like makes a huge difference to the success. I think Trump thinks it's nice to have. Pardon? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't get political. I said Trump. I think Trump thinks leadership's a nice thing rather than needed thing. Some people might, but yeah. So homing in on what shifts leaders can experience and then what impact that has on those they lead, I think is, is also in a, an area to focus. Yeah, cool. Uh, very good points. Now, I think, how long, much longer have we got? 10 minutes? Yeah. yeah. Um, the... the Barb's asked a really good question. Any research on the enhanced abilities of mindful leaders to manage the conditions of COVID-19? Any new cutting edge research coming out? Or, or on similar things, how, you know, managing, I guess, really, really stressful situations? Yeah. Health, I guess as well is a, a, something that I see that's just going to be an increasing issue. Yeah. Uh, Barb, thanks for the question. And 
I wish I could just say, yes, boom, 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 here they are. Unfortunately, you know, research and good quality research takes one, two, three years to publish, um, which is, is what it is. Um, there are reasons for that, but it means it's slow. Um, so um, I'm not aware of anything that it probably is, um, uh, but I'm, I'm just not aware of anything that's, that's being done on that exact issue. But I think just to, to Jonah's point, um, there are so much research on the uh, impact, the benefits of mindfulness for managing stress and overwhelm, um, complexity, um, and these kinds of things um, that, that, are, that are clearly relevant in the current pandemic. The, you mentioned managing complexity. Can you say a little bit about that? That's quite interesting. Why'd you say that? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the way I, what, what, where I was thinking there is around, you know, again, particularly in more senior roles, you know, we, we, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of different priorities and there's a body of, of research, um, uh, you know, around just the, 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 uh, the benefit of mindfulness skills for being able to, to just better manage um, all of those different balls and knowing which balls to drop. So hmm. being perhaps a bit more strategic, right? And less reactive, less guilty um, often, you know, that's less sort of bought into guilt, which is often driving a lot of the way we end up working without even knowing it. Um, and more strategic, you know, around, right, what are the critical priorities? And then just down to the basic things around, like, how do I structure my week? How do I structure my day? How do I diarise my day to ensure I have time to do that kind of um, strategic type planning for, my, for myself and for my team? That, that's what I talk about. That's what I mean when I say complexity. Why, why does sitting you know, in a chair and focusing on your breath or a, a sound or something like that, why does that help you with prioritisation? Great question. Um, because a lot of the time, if you think about it, when we find ourselves in a pickle, you know, we are running fast, we're reactive, we, we lose sight of what's important to us and to those that are, that, that are you know, we're influenced, that we influence. And we end up in this sort of cycle of kind of manic activity where we're not thinking clearly um, and we know it's not working, but we just somehow think we just should have to keep going or something like this, right? A pretty unhealthy state of mind, which, um, which, which we, can, we can easily slip into um, when we're busy, when there's a lot coming at us from outside. And so, so mindfulness is, is, about, is about that. It's about, okay, so, so how am I, which bits of this do I have control of how am I going to res to respond to this? Like and and um, and really stepping back from that mode of mind, that reactive habit that almost sometimes can be addictive. You know, mm. we used to being in this kind of emergency state of everything's got to happen yesterday, and it's almost quite enjoyable, but it's not sustainable and it's not effective. Mm especially among people who are in, in leadership positions where the stakes are so high. So mm -hmm. 
mindfulness, um, it's a good question, but uh, I think this is mindfulness has a lot um, in, in, in that area too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that ste stepping back is just a critical kind of practice of it, part of yeah. it. Of it. And, and so also the noticing. So that's the awareness part oh, yeah. of mindfulness. Like if we're not aware of what's going on, how can we possibly change? Mm. So that awareness of, well, this is how I'm working. This is how I'm dealing with my speaking to my colleagues. All of this mm. can be a little more aware of that. And now I have the possibility of making some decisions about changing that. And I know you guys are doing a lot of coaching. I mean, that's where I think coaching really comes into its own around breaking that down and then getting some clarity around what I am going to focus on. But the beginning of it all is around the awareness. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've got about 10 minutes left and I, I want to throw it open for a few questions. But before we do that, one thing I wanted to ask is, um, what do you see about the best, like ideal way of running a program to implement it for a, a team of people or an individual? Um, you know, we see a lot of people doing short workshops. I'm sure you've done tons of them as well, where you, you go and 300, do, you, you mentioned at the beginning, 300, but I'm yeah. talking about those ones where you just go and do two sessions, you know, you tell people about mindfulness, our meditative practice and the kind of mindsets involved. And then they think, okay, cool. This is good. We'll go and do this and this will be easy. Um, but it's not like that. Do you, have you seen any good research around how you design programs? You know, my sense obviously would be that it, does make tank time you do have to do multiple yeah kind of things here yes be there and that just a high level quickly before we yes get yes before. yes um because that's a that's a big question so i'll keep it quite brief and high level um uh from what i've seen and read um the the key is the the, the buy-in from the, the, the most senior decision maker in the work unit or in the division or the department or the organization. Um, to the extent that there's investment and buy-in, um, to that extent, um, you're, you're gonna really be able to contribute and make a difference. Mm. Um, and uh, the other one I'd say is equally important is individual volition in engaging with this stuff. You can't force people to to be mindful, <laughs> at least not that at least without a gun. Um, so, <laughs> um, so uh, it's um, it's uh, it's. I think that's also critical. How you really articulate and 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 frame um, um, mindfulness programs, clearly outlining what the benefits are and what the tangible outcomes people can expect to see are. But really thinking about well, what what kind of engagement is there here? Are people really engaged? And then the last thing I'd say is just around the coaching. You know, I mean, in the programs that I run, we integrate um, education in peer to peer group type formats with with one on one coaching for leaders, and that is just invaluable around getting right into what are the blockages what are the specific issues or challenges and with that you can really um, deliver some transformational outcomes uh, as i see things yeah cool good thank you james um so maybe we've got a couple of i'll throw it open to 
the floor. Um, there's two questions in our chat which I think are pretty cool. So one is, who's that one from Kamal? Just, when you practice mindfulness meditation, you become more equanimous, dispassionate and content. Uh, leadership requires to be very ambitious. How do you reconcile this dichotomy? We've kind of touched on that one. And then we've got another one from Barry Healy. Hey, Barry. Um, any research on connection between mindful leadership and ethical behaviour? I think we've, let's leave the first one about ambition because we touched on that, but the ethics is pretty interesting as well. Yeah, and in, way, in a way it speaks to the ambition anyway. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, a, you know, there's a bunch of studies have looked at the links between mindfulness and values-based leadership. Okay, which isn't strictly ethics, although there are studies on ethical leadership as well. So the extent to which you're leading in an ethical way and in a transparent and an accountable way. And, and yeah, there's, there's certainly evidence out there that when you're more mindful, you're more aware of those reactions and also aware of your values. You know, think back to the stop that exercise I did at the beginning of the session where the last part was your intention. How do I want to show up here? That's about your values. That's about the kind of ethics that you want to bring to, at least partly about the ethics that you want to bring to, to situations. Um, uh, so there's been a bunch of research around that. And then also around explicitly ethical decision-making as well. That when people are, when we're mindful, we're more likely to make ethical decision make, uh, decisions because we're more aware of the consequences. We're more able to take broader perspectives. I mean, you, you referenced Donald Trump before Jonah, but I mean, taking out the politics, he's a great example of that, like an archetype of, this challenge around as a leader being able to take multiple perspectives and that speaks to ethics um, as well. So that, that's some thoughts on that one. Yeah, okay, cool, thanks. Um, how about anybody else? Any other questions? You, Jill? Yeah, Joan, I've, um, I was reflecting um, as James was talking about a meeting that uh, Phil and I had with a client this week and we were sort of being interviewed and he asked us to describe integral, which we did. And I said, and also we have a focus on mindfulness and I talked about it and I could see him react to the word. Um, and it got me thinking afterwards about, even though we might not overtly talk about mindfulness in his program when we run it, inevitably it's gonna be a part of any leadership program because you talk about reactions and triggers and being aware of your inner world and so on. So I just wondered if you had a reflection on the massive overlap between great leadership and mindfulness, even if you take that word out of it, it's what we talk about all the time, isn't it, in leadership? Yeah, absolutely, uh, Jill, and it's a really good point. I mean, mindfulness is a word. Um, <laughs> so it's the skill that's the key and however, whatever's useful in how we describe that skill Whatever, whatever, you know, whatever is going to resonate with people or make sense to people um, would, would seem to be the way to go. And I, I have to say, I often come up against that as well. I think it's, it's just this point of it's 10, 20 years old now and people have this idea about what it is and they often just switch off. They think it's fluffy or whatever. So, yeah, it might be worth 
for people who are really wanting to champion these skills to think about the, carefully about the language and the environment. You know, working at Qantas, as you guys would all know, is very different to working at the Department of Human Services. You know, there are different kinds of people resonate with different language and really trying to cut through to them and speak their language, I think, is, is just uh, a really valuable contribution because it just means that they're more able to engage. Good, thanks. Um, any other questions? Awesome, for the last one. I'm on Jonah's microphone if my mouth and, and words don't match up. Um, just going back to the question someone asked before, because I do think that one was really an interesting one, kind of around, I guess, the intersection between, um, and you, you referred to it a bit, James, as the values-based um, piece, but around having an impact for purpose, you know, that, that I, you mentioned that idea that um, mindfulness gives you that opportunity to go back to what's really important, you know, to stand back from a situation and say what's really important. And I guess then that link to being ambitious, maybe not necessarily for yourself, but for impact or outcome. So mm. I'm just curious to hear your observations about that, because I think we think ambition is a dirty word and equanimity and all those things that Kamal references are, are, are lovely things, but actually, I don't know, yeah. Absolutely, and it's a really well-made point, Hannah. It's like ambitious for who or what. Mm. Um, and if we can change that frame of reference a little bit, then it can make the world of difference and sort of change that whole underlying attitude or tone that sits behind it. Um, mm. Another one that, I often refer to is this idea of excellence, you know, and that re really resonates a lot with, with people around it's, and it's that, that then is more about excellence about the work that we do. It's not about being excellent for me, but it's about doing excellent work. You know, the idea of high quality work in everything we do, a lot of people really resonate with that. And I really like that because again, there's not a lot of ego there doesn't need to be any ego in that. Um, obviously, it can come in quite easily, but nonetheless, it can really resonate and, um, and, and be for the good, as I see it. And, but also speak to people that are really goal-driven and are really passionate about doing something big in the world. It's a, a facetious question, but why have I practiced mindfulness? Do I care about excellence? Like, wouldn't I, aren't I accepting everything and doesn't matter the quality of my work. It's facetious because I'm reading this book by Ray Dalio, who's a long-term TM meditator and the best performing hedge fund and the largest hedge fund in the world. So I do think that things go together, but yeah, to hear your, your response. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. And I think it's just about this thing of not having limits in the way we, 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 we understand ourselves and, and that, you know, people need to perform, people need to achieve, people need to have goals, people need to, to contribute. It's like a basic human need. So sort of trying to block that out or deny that or somehow pretend that shouldn't be important to me is, is denying something that's pretty important that, um, you know, that really needs to have that full expression. I think Hannah's hit the nail on the head. It's ultimately for, to what end? Would be the would be the big question there but at a basic day-to-day -day level everyone needs to feel like they're performing and that they're achieving to feel like they're they're um you know worthwhile in some way or contributing in some way or satisfied in some way um 
that's that would be how I would. But then it comes down to just perhaps say, you know, it's how you do that, which is where the mindful attitudes come in. So doing it with that sense of openness and kindness and generosity, and all of these other attributes that you might more think of being connected to mindfulness. James, right. that's my best shot. It was good. James, a quick question. If you look at the names on the webinar here, two out of the three are women. Anything you notice difference about the responsiveness of women to mindfulness compared to men? I'll bet the person that Jill talked to was a male who reacted. Like any comment or even research about the responsiveness of male versus female to mindfulness? And, and if you look in organizations, unfortunately, it's still men that occupy the higher levels. So they're mm. harder to win over to this. Any comment yeah. or research on this? It's a, it's a really astute point, Ron, um, really astute point. And I mean, I certainly see the same basic pattern and I think it's pretty much to these associations that we have as mindfulness is soft, is, you know, um, empathic, you know, all of these kinds of things that um, unfortunately a lot of blokes don't quite get. And to be honest, it, it can be threatening. You know, I, I think for a lot of men, these, even these words, like the word self-compassion, I mean, what? <laughs> people just, people just, you know, so I think you're really thinking about the language and respecting that people come from different, you know, kind of starting points and really respecting that and then moving them, working with them would be, for me, you know, what, how I'd see it. I don't know. Oh, your sound dropped out a bit. Okay. Oh, there you are. Good. Good. I think we're, we're out of time. In, unless a good question to end on, Ron. Thanks just to challenge James at the very end. Um, uh, is it, is, unless anybody's got a burning question, I think we'll have to let James go. No? I think we're good. Good. Thanks so much, James. Really great to chat with you. Um, pleasure to have you. Uh, thanks for taking the time. and. I hope everybody really enjoyed themselves. We had a really good turnout today. We'll send out the recording as well in the next email. CJ will send it out. Um, that's good. Thanks. Is there any, what's, what's planned next? No, we have another one planned? Okay. Not yet. Okay, we don't have another one planned in the coming, but we'll sort one out soon. Maybe James, I'll have to touch base with you again, schedule you again. Um, anyway. We'll just get James back. Yeah, yeah. Good, okay. Well, well done, Happy James. Too. Yeah. Well done. You really spoke well in something that's really close to our heart. And I think you've put some wind in the sails of mindful leadership. Really terrific. Well done. Oh, and thank you, Ron. And look forward to your, your paper, your next 200-page paper when it comes out. Yeah. Well, Jonah, I'll be emailing to you to make sure you've read it beginning to... <laughs> I will. I will. Cool. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks, thank everyone. You. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Cheers, all. See you, James. See you.